0: Support for Melbourne Food and Wine comes from Lavazza. Hand picked, slowly roasted, and produced in limited quantities, Kaffa Forest Coffee is Lavazza's newest single origin coffee. Hailing from Ethiopia, Kaffa comes from the original coffee plant. Try it for yourself. What drives a person to chase their Formula One dream to the other side of the world? What drives a person to pursue precision in pastry beyond anything seen at home? What drives people to stand in line for an hour for a baked snack? Is it the same force? Is it always a force for good? Hello, I'm Pat Nurse, and welcome to Melbourne Food & Wine. For three days earlier this year, as part of the Theatre of Ideas, supported by the New York Times, and as part of the Melbourne Food & Wine Festival brought to us by the Bank of Melbourne, audiences feasted on hot topics of conversation from leading food talents from around Australia and around the globe. One of the standouts was Kate Reed, founder of Loon Croissantery and founder of what have been called the world's best croissants. Obsession is hardwired into Kate's DNA. She left the hard-paced world of aerospace engineering and Formula One when she moved to Paris to be accepted as an apprentice to world-renowned master baker Christophe Vasseur, who trained her in the art of perfectly designed pastries. It's a single-minded obsession which has driven Kate to success today. The power of obsession is the topic of Kate Reed's Theatre of Ideas conversation with Sam Sifton, food editor of the New York Times. To open the session, Sam asked Kate what she remembered as her first obsession.
1: Well, I was having a chat to Dad about this this afternoon because I wasn't sure where it would all start, and I said, well, I've been branded as obsessive, and I mentioned the obvious examples that I'm sure we'll get to. But he said, oh, yeah, your first big obsession was horses. And um, I think I was about eight years old and I decided as an inner Melbourne child, I really wanted to own a horse and ride a horse. And he said, well, if you want that, you can go out and get a job and pay for your own horse and pay for your own adjustment.
2: What was the job you got?
1: I delivered papers. Thank uh, you. <laughs> <laughs> Here we are, round, it's a round circle. Come around. (laughs) Um, So
2: I was, you know, I've had obsessions. You've had obsessions. My obsessions led me to type for a living, yours to international uh, stardom as a baker. But I hinted foreshadowing that sometimes obsession in your life has not been a good thing. And indeed, an obsession with food in particular led you almost indirectly, to where you are today. You've written very movingly about this, but I'm interested to hear it, as it were, from the horse's mouth, um, without benefit of your typing. How did you manage that pivot from an unhealthy obsession with food to an extremely healthy one?
1: It's something that I've given a lot of thought since we were presented with this conversation topic, and I think... There's a lot of discussion in society these days about what a healthy life balance looks like. And I think that the media paint it that, you know, we need good work-life balance, we need good exercise, we need to eat well, we need social time, all of these things to slot into it. But in thinking about that, I don't have that balance. And that balance actually doesn't make me happy. Being obsessed about something is when I'm happy. Mm -hmm. And obviously the first very big obsession that was quite life-changing for me was wanting to work in Formula One. And when I discovered that it wasn't all I thought it was going to be, I didn't have that obsession to focus on anymore and I kind of rallied to find something maybe subconsciously to be obsessed about and I was in a bit of a dark place so I ended up finding something really unhealthy to be obsessed about which was food and exercise to the detriment of my health and it's a bit ironic that the obsession was about food and about restricting yourself but in restricting your body with food you're always hungry so you're always thinking about food and you find other ways of engaging with it and and being involved with food so
2: talk about that for a moment because there you have as I say written movingly about this and there's a moment that I think you give a little short shrift to, which is understanding that your relationship with food is now about giving others pleasure. Yep. And that, of course, led you to begin baking.
1: Yep. Well, like, it's something that you can live very vicariously through someone else's enjoyment, especially if it's something you've created. Like, we all know that giving a present to someone is often as enjoyable as receiving a present because you've put the thought and the planning into what to buy them and then you see them open it and their surprise and happiness at receiving it. I know I prefer giving a present to receiving one. Mm-hmm. And in terms of baking, it's a very nurturing way to to show love or or show care for somebody. And um, not only do you get to live vicariously through their enjoyment, you also get to live vicariously through planning what you're going to make, working with the ingredients, sourcing them Like, baking is a little bit science and sorcery. Like, how do those ingredients, you know, simple things like flour, milk, butter, sugar, salt, how do they work together to create something like, you know, a chiffon cake or a croissant?
2: You began your career in engineering as a sort of science-based person. You are now in a career that uses science to create something that is fantastical and gives a great deal of pleasure to those who consume it. I'm really interested in hearing from you what you feel the relationship between engineering or science and art is, or creativity. At what point does it cross over from just numbers into joy?
1: Yeah, it's, I think, often creativity is far more linked to the arts than it is to the sciences. But if we look back over the course of history, some of the most creative things that have come about have been from scientists and engineers that have truly managed to think outside of the box and and think fantastically. Like... um, Da Vinci. Da Vinci. Or, like, he wasn't a scientist, but John F. Kennedy, who then... It's actually the era in in history that I wish I'd been born. The space race? Yeah, definitely. Like... Imagine living through that, where one man in America, and also obviously all of Russia, but one man in America yeah, decided, but we won. yeah, you, to- you totally won. <laughs> <laughs> Although interestingly, we do name some of our equipment after Yuri Gagarin, the first astronaut in space.
2: Well, it's it's good to take a wide view.
0: With Kaffer Forest Coffee, Lavazza is going back to the beginning With beans from the original coffee plant. This single origin coffee is rich and intense, with floral notes and the flavors of cherry and date. Add it to your menu. Lavazza, a supporter of the Melbourne Food and Wine Festival.
2: Okay, so your space race led to the croissant, right? Yep. So
1: can you take us through that journey a a little bit? Backtracking to engineering. The reason I wanted to work in Formula One was the idea of a lack of constraint or a lack of boundaries. Like, I know they release the regulations every year, but ultimately it's a really – it's a pretty selfish and indulgent industry where the best in their business only get there and then they get to play with these toy cars that travel around the world in this fantastic, glamorous circus and you get given large budgets to – design things that in the past have led to a cascade of technology coming back down into the commercial automotive industry. Mm -hmm. And I had this idea that if I could be good enough to get to Formula One, I'd get to work in this incredibly creative environment that could have an effect on things that cascade down to the everyday person, but work with people to really think outside the box and The reason that I was disillusioned when I got there was because it didn't end up... That wasn't the case. No, it was a very negative environment to work in and I won't harp on that. The
2: race is coming
1: next week. Yeah, no, exactly. I I still want my ticket. (laughs) (laughs) But um, that's what led into the anorexia because I'd been so obsessed with this dream and this goal for so long and then I was left floundering without it that I think I subconsciously looked for something else. But... When I decided to focus on the croissant, I was the boss. Like, I was the the technical director of Loon. Right. And I was making the calls as to, like, how would I be creative? How would I run my experimentation and testing? Maybe I could, like, not follow the classic French process and just totally come up with my own. And then if I come up with my own process, it's always open for improvement and iteration. And and this like, almost like that. Formula One car that I wanted to design where I was the like in control of the destiny of where that was going. It wasn't somebody else telling me, well, you just have to make 50 N plates that are slightly different this week. Like yeah, yeah. I just decided I want my croissant to be exactly like that and I'm going to reverse engineer it and I'm going to use my engineering principles with testing and experimentation, like change one variable at a time and slowly, slowly work towards this thing that – Is what I want in a pastry. Okay,
2: and so that pastry, and we've all had this pastry, yes. Has anyone not anyone not had this pastry? (laughs) Okay, well we'll change that tomorrow. See you tomorrow. (laughs) (laughs) See you tomorrow. Get there early. So I think it's inarguable in my mind. I'm willing to defend it for a long time. We're very much approaching perfection in Kate's croissant and it, this is the goal of an engineer as
1: well can we talk about that concept for a yes, second? yes
2: and I'm going to ask you this question because we had a really interesting conversation just a few days ago where someone wanted to litigate this notion of perfection which I want to do with us right now where and of course the guy was French felt that your croissant was too perfect that it was yeah. like like it was like a machine
1: Even though he stood there watching the pastry chefs do every part of the process by hand with love and attention to detail, he's still... What's this concept of too perfect? Right. So (laughs) what is that
2: concept? I mean, you must admit that the goal of the engineer is to approach perfection in the object that is being created, right? And so maybe this can be true of a piece of pastry as well. But it is fascinating to me that to someone... To this French guy, that would somehow offend the gods. That this is, it is inhuman on some level to make it that way and to make a system in which the pastry will always be that way if everybody comes in
1: and does their jobs as they're supposed to. How does that make you feel? Confused. Like, if you're going to do something, and this has been the motto I've lived my entire life with, if I decide I'm going to do something, I'm going to do it the best I can possibly do it. I'm not going to purposely cut corners and maybe weigh up the flour wrong or use a butter that's not as good as another butter that I can get. Like, why wouldn't you want to do it the best you possibly can? I want to move off topic for a moment.
2: I want to play a little speed round with you, if that's okay. Where and when are you at your absolute happiness?
1: Standing at the laminator.
2: At the laminator, in the box? Yep. That's so fantastic.
1: But maybe... Maybe I was happier standing at the laminator down at Elwood.
2: Not yeah. Controversial. No, not at all. But because then yeah. it was just you and your obsession. Kate, what is
1: your greatest indulgence? I really like scones. Really? <laughs> and I make a really mean scone. I think I might open a sconnery next. Really? Bring yeah. it out into the world? Just scones with jam and cream. It's a, how funny is that? It takes three days to make a croissant and I can make a batch of scones in 10 minutes. Yeah. I really picked the Would wrong you? product. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Cast your eye into your apartment. What object in it could you absolutely not live without? Is a dog
1: classified as an object? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. What's his name? Her name? Lily. Lily. Yeah. And we've just moved house and she's very confused and I'm really stressing about her happiness. Is she a wee dog? No, she's a black Labrador. She's, oh, the original, she's the original Loon Lab. There you go. Obsessions
2: fall on us, I think. You discovered an obsession with croissants, you have forgotten an obsession with horses. Um, <laughs> if you could choose a
1: next obsession, if you could choose, what might that be? I've already got my eye on another pastry. Ooh. And I'm not going to talk about it. Oh, come on. Break some news. It's uh, the New York Times. We're no. supposed to break news. I know. Well, I haven't told anybody that, but I've got my eye on another I got street.
2: closer than any journalist in Australia
1: yep. <laughs> to that story right there. Will you give us a when shape? I, when I'm ready to share it, I'll come to you first.
0: <laughs> that was Kate Reed, director and founder of Loon Croissantry, with moderator Sam Sifton, the food editor of the New York Times. They were speaking at the Theatre of Ideas, part of the Melbourne Food and Wine Festival. You've been listening to Melbourne Food and Wine. Melbourne Food and Wine Festival is made possible with the support of Visit Victoria. I'm Pat Nurse. Thanks for listening.